99.3 WBT. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Just a heads up. If you're planning to commit a murder, just don't even have a cell phone. Just don't even have one. Um, and try to make sure all of your victims don't have them either. That's just what I've picked up over the last 24 hours watching the Alex Murdoch murder trial. We're going to go into it at 2 o'clock. Uh, we'll see if uh, Matt Harris from our sister station, Mix 1079, who's uh, also doing a pod, has been doing the podcast Impact of Influence about the Murdoch trial and the case uh, leading up to this trial. Um, and he's down there at the courthouse, so we'll touch base with him if he can, because you're at the mercy of the, of the judge. And just the way, you know, witnesses are being called and evidence is being admitted and, and uh, you know, they break for lunch and the judge is always trying to look out for the jurors to make sure that they're comfortable and, you know, you don't, they don't have to sit through, you know, three, four straight hours of testimony, tries to give them breaks and that sort of thing. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to hook up with Matt, but it'll be a game time decision. But, yeah, they're going over all of the data, all the data from the cell phones, three different cell phones. Uh, Alec Murdoch, uh, his wife, his deceased wife, murdered wife, uh, Maggie, and uh, the murdered son, Paul, all of whom were at the property, and they've got everything. (laughs) I mean, everything. I was, I did not know, I did not know how much stuff they actually can get out of a phone, and I'm watching this, it's like, this is... Kind of terrifying. Now, on the other hand, if you think you might be the victim of a murder, turn on all of your geolocation uh, settings on every single one of your apps, and also it helps to just be constantly texting just all the time. So Gen Zs, I'm thinking y'all are the most safe generation ever. You guys are going <laughs> to never get murdered. I think that's how... <laughs> well, I mean, if you do, actually, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be more likely they catch the killer. Also... Just lots of videos, just constantly be having the video running all the time, you know. All right, so that's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back like Jen Psaki. We'll do that at, uh, at the 2 o'clock hour, third hour of the program today, as we have been doing uh, for the last couple of days. But I want to start with a story that I actually, I started building this topic about three weeks ago, and that's right, Bernie. Bernie's laughing. It's about China. Oh, hang on a second. It's about China. Oh, wait. Hang on a second. It's about China. There we go. (laughs) Sorry. Smooth. There you go. All righty. So China's population. China's population began shrinking last year. For the first time in 60 years. The latest milestone in a worsening demographic crisis for the world's second largest economy. The country had 1.41 billion people at the end of last year. But that is down 850,000 from the previous year, from the end of 2021. So they lost almost a million people. That according to data released by the National Statistics Bureau. Now keep in mind... These are communists. And what do we know about commies? They lie a lot. Communist governments lie about everything. So I don't know if the stats are true. I don't know how accurate they are or are not. 
But for them to even acknowledge that in 2022, that's pretty important because it is the first drop in their population since 1961. What was happening in 1961? Well, that was the final year of the communist uh, uh, progress, you know, their forward campaign uh, of that, that led to the Great Famine, as communism often does. Lots of people die under communism. Lots of people starve to death. Lots of people can't get basic goods and services, and they die. And that's what happened during the Great Famine under former leader Mao Zedong. And it coincided with figures showing China's economy expanded last year at the second slowest pace since the 70s. So it's it's still expanded, but it has not expanded a lot. And it and the pace is only slower than one other year going back into the 70s. A total of 10.4 million people died. That is a slight increase from about 10 million recorded in recent years. Now, China did suffer a surge in COVID-related deaths starting in December. So I suspect they're going to say that this is all because of their uh, their exit out of their zero COVID approach, right? But maybe that, maybe this uh, uptick in the deaths is due to a lot of COVID deaths that the commies, because once again, communists lie, that they didn't report to us. That's possible, right? Because they were trying to show how awesome their bureaucratic, technocratic system is. Yay, communism. And so they did not want to acknowledge how many people actually died. Uh, What else? More COVID-related deaths will likely come this year, according to Bloomberg News, as fatalities usually lag infections by weeks and infections began spreading all across the country. That outbreak could further push up the number of deaths this year. Uh, But the main cause of the population contraction was a decline in new babies. That, according to Kang Yi, head of the National Statistics Bureau, who has since disappeared. No, I'm kidding. Due to the... I actually don't know. He may have. I don't know. Uh, Due to... Or she. I don't know. She. He. He. Okay. Yeah, it says later on he. I don't want to mispronounce somebody, even a communist. I don't want to mispronounce them. That'll get you canceled like that. Okay. Due to the decline, the Chinese economy may struggle to overtake. There's some speculative journalisming for you, right? It, Chinese economy may struggle to overtake the United States in size, and the nation could lose. There's another speculation, and it could lose its status as the world's most populous country. They would lose it too. Guam, which would tip over with that. No, I'm not Guam. It's, no, it's uh, India. India would become the most populous country. China is following in the footsteps of other nations, though, in East Asia, such as Japan or South Korea, and they've seen their birth rates plummet. Their populations are getting older and um, it says start to shrink. Oh, I don't know if that's actually like, are the people getting smaller? I don't know. I did see a couple of uh, years ago, I want to say like two or three years ago, there was a story about Japan uh, putting out into like warehouse facilities and stuff, 
these exoskeleton suits. Have you ever seen these things? Yeah, like you would, you put it on and it, like, they like, they don't like attach to your skin or anything, but you, you, you suit up in this, sort of like an Iron Man kind of thing, but without all of the, the shiny covering and, and, and artistic aesthetics. It's just it's very stripped down. So you, it, they almost look like splints, like two bars on either side of your arm, both arms, and then they like attach to like a back brace thing and they attach to your legs. And, and the whole point is that it takes the pressure of lifting stuff. You can now lift really heavy things with this exoskeleton suit, this exosuit. You can lift up heavy things. Well, why would Japan need all of that? Because they're warehouse workers are old. They're in their like late 50s, early 60s. I'm sorry if I offended. I don't mean like that. But they're for warehouse work, you got to keep lifting stuff. And if you've been doing it for decades, right, that's literally backbreaking work. And so they're outfitting their warehouse workers with these suits because they, they can't replace them in the labor force. So uh, China's birth rate down and population aging. I'm okay with this, by the way. I'm okay with this. I don't look at China as our friend. That's just me. Hence, see my comments about communism. Talk 1110-993-WBT. So China's population declined. First time since 1961 after they uh, starved millions of people to death under the Great Famine, which what's so great about famine, I don't know, but that's what they called it, 1961, first time. And also, their economy contracted, or sorry, their economy did not contract. Their economy grew, but only by the second lowest rate since like the 70s, or 1971. So... It did grow, but only a teensy-weensy little bit. This now from the Financial Times. The costs of China's chaotic exit from its zero-COVID strategy are surging in spite of a virtually statistic official... Sorry. I swear I read for a living. I do it all the time. I have a lot of practice at reading. I promise. All right. I'm going to start again. The cost of China's chaotic exit from its zero-COVID strategy are surging. In spite of a virtually static official death toll, in other words, it hasn't moved, it's been constant, they got it under control, right? But a slew of obituaries for elderly public figures from academics to opera singers demonstrate the impact of the virus among its vulnerable population. Guys, I think COVID might disproportionately affect the older people. I'm not sure... I think maybe I was saying this about like three years ago, but I think this might be, I think this might be the case. Hospitals in several parts of the country are being overwhelmed. This from a news, again, Financial Times reporting about uh, four weeks ago. Scramble for antiviral drugs and painkillers is now creating shortages all across Asia. Guess what's coming our way, right? Unofficial projections are putting the number of people that could die in China's exit wave at about a million people. Such prospects not only damage the image of Xi Jinping, China's most powerfulest leader since Mao Zedong, who also 
killed a bunch of people. Uh, they also leave Beijing's propaganda organs struggling to hit the right chord. To defend policies after two years spent playing uh, pe- yeah, playing up hefty death tolls in the West as evidence of China's superior governance. So here's here's one of the problems. For the la- since the b- pandemic began at the Wuhan lab, um, and then it came over here, right? China has been essentially using everybody else as evidence as to why they are superior. We have it under control. And by the way, they got a little bit of an assist, and in some cases, a big assist from media outlets in the West who would praise China and its authoritarianism, its its tyrannical approach of welding people into their apartments and such. They said, look at that. I mean, you say what you want about communism, but by golly, by gosh, they sure saved a lot of lives. And China would use that as propaganda domestically. They would They would say, look, even... These news outlets in the West are saying we are doing a better job than they are. We are keeping you safe. I mean, yes, we monitor every single moment of your life and we will beat the tar out of you if you are uh, you know, going to uh, uh, raise an objection to anything the commies do. But at least you're alive. And now, not so much. <laughs> now, this is the thing. Viruses are going to virus. I've been saying this for three years. It's been three years, right? 2020? Man. Sorry, I was just making sure that was right. 2020, but it has been. Is it the beginning of 2020? Um, such prospects not only damage his image, but uh, they also leave the propaganda organ struggling. And, you know, if you can't have sympathy for the propagandists in communist China, I mean, really, is there a more sympathetic group? But behind the havoc, a fundamental reset. It's not a great reset. Even though China does a lot of great things, like great famines, great walls, not a great reset. Theirs is just a reset, okay? It's taking place in Xi's foreign and economic policies. According to Chinese officials and government advisors, Beijing is putting together policies aimed at improving diplomatic ties that have soured badly and boosting a deeply strained economy. By the way, just I feel it important to uh, make mention of this as well. Xi Jinping looks like uh, Winnie the Pooh. Okay. The motivation behind the intended rest, uh, resets rather, again, not great resets, but these resets, the motivation, the success of which remains uncertain, derives from a confluence of different economic, social, and foreign policy stresses that have now reached, according to the Financial Times, these are at critical levels. After months of fierce internal politics, Xi Jinping, who looks like Winnie the Pooh, secured an unprecedented third term as leader of the Communist Party. And he was able to pick a Politburo, which is a piece of furniture, um, but he was able to pick a ruling Politburo composed exclusively of loyalists. So he surrounded himself with these, you know, uber pro-Winnie the Pooh loyalists. With the Congress behind him, Xi is now attempting a course correction, though. From an economic perspective, the main goals are to restore growth to China's slowing economy, improve the lot of hundreds of millions of Chinese rural workers, stabilize the ailing property market. Like, each one of these things is its own, like, show, its own topic, you know, which I'm not going to do. But these are the these are the big areas. Um, and to try to shore up a crisis afflicting the finances of a whole bunch of local governments. 
So this is the problem when you have a top-down command control economy. It's when you, when you go this route, is that if you make a mistake at the top, the problems get replicated everywhere versus an, uh, an economy from the bottom up, which you would think the, the American progressives, the communist-adjacent progressives, you'd think they would understand that. So aside from very much enjoying honey, the president, uh, the leader of communist China, Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, sorry, Xi Jinping. Um, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right. But uh, he is trying to deal with economic, social and foreign policy stresses that have reached critical levels. They got a declining population for the first time since they uh, starved a whole bunch of their people to death like 60 years ago. They got an economy that's not growing as fast as it has been, and it's the slowest growth they've seen since the 70s. They got the emergence. They're coming out of uh, zero COVID stupidity, and uh, that means you're going to probably have a lot more people dying, even though they've been claiming all this time, look at us, we're superior than all those other Western countries. We kept you alive through our tyrannical state. And now they're trying to emerge and uh, there are people dying. Now, whether or not they report accurate numbers about that, we shall see. But they're communists, so I don't hold my breath for, for honest reporting. From an economic perspective, right, they're trying to restore growth. They want it to be robust. They want it to be robust. Everyone's favorite word since the Obama era. Because if you have, you know, 1.4 billion people and... You know, 10% of them are rural agrarian uh, residents, and they can't improve their lives at all. They might not get too happy about that. They may get a little restless. From a diplomatic perspective, China's main aim is to improve relations with some countries in the West after a period which has at times left Beijing feeling uncomfortably isolated. So the Chinese communists are going to focus on what else but their ties with Europe. They're always so receptive to this. Well, because the relations have been badly damaged by China's support for its partner, Russia. Yeah, the Europeans not too thrilled with China cozying up to Vladimir Putin. So China now perceives a likelihood that Russia is going to fail to prevail against Ukraine. And they're going to emerge from that conflict as a minor power, much diminished economically and diplomatically on the world stage. This is according to some Chinese officials who spoke in private in order to not be murdered. <laughs> they, they, they did not go on the record. But there is some, there are some, like they, they're expressing some concern towards and mistrust towards Vladimir Putin himself. They remember they say Moscow didn't tell us of its intention to launch a full invasion of Ukraine before the attack. In fact, one who at the time of the invasion uh, was the vice minister of foreign affairs and the ministry's top Russia expert, Li Yucheng. Li had been widely spoken of in Chinese official circles as the likely next foreign minister. 
But now, under the bus, I mean, not literally, although you, I mean, it's, yeah, it's quite rational for you to think he was literally thrown under a bus, them being communists. Well, but these are not North, uh, North Koreans here, right? They don't march him out there into the middle of a, a, a bombing zone and drop a bomb on him like the North Korean leader did to his uncle. I mean, that's, that's a different level of tyrant, right? Xi Jinping, no, no, they just, uh, they just did something, well, might be just as bad. They put him as the head of the National Radio and Television Administration. It's kind of, it's almost the same thing as getting blown up by a, by a bomb like that. It's almost, almost. Being put in charge of state radio? Yeah, it's... Beijing's strategy is to position itself, according to the Financial Times, as not only a potential peacemaker, but also a willing party in any post-war efforts to help rebuild Ukraine, because this is what China does, right? China comes in and they offer you all sorts of help, and then you find out, oh my gosh, we can't afford the repayments on the loan that they uh, gave us to build their air, uh, to build this airport. These terms are terrible. And then what happens? They come and they take your airport. Now they run your airport. Now they control you as a small country, right? So I'm sure the Chinese want to get in on some of that action. Think about the difference in the way that we treat China versus the way we treated the Soviet Union. We would never buy stuff from the Soviet Union. I mean, they didn't really produce anything except like nuclear missiles and vodka. But um, it's there's no way we would have ever bought the amount of stuff like critical infrastructure stuff, too, from the Chinese that that we buy now. We treated them as an enemy, as an adversary. Right. This was the the bipolar uh, geopolitical containment policy. We didn't do that with China. We thought if we just try to influence them and show them, hey, look at all these market reforms you can do and have some you know free market zones and we could trade with you and your people will get richer and they'll get happier and then you'll you know kind of become another free market economy, democratic country. And no. If anything, we may have picked up some of the wrong lessons from China. Like, turns out they were a bad influence on us. We were hoping to be a good influence on them, and maybe it didn't work out quite that way. And I'm not predicting anything here, but it just sort of looks that way to me. What else here? The Financial Times says, as it seeks to repair ties with European powers, Beijing is insisting that its European counterparts agree to repeat a no-decoupling mantra. This is... uh, I think this is based off of Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, divorce strategy, but uh, it marks a clear difference with Washington, which is seeking to limit U.S. commercial ties with China in certain areas, particularly with regard to sensitive technologies. And so, like, they're they're saying to the Europeans, hey, we could totally help you with this pooty-poot situation over there in Ukraine. We could play peacemaker, but you cannot decouple from our economy. We have to keep providing you with the slave labor built uh, critical technologies that you're using all of your uh, in your military. I'm just kidding. Europe doesn't have much of a military. It doesn't matter. But on other things, let's say nuclear power plants, for example. OK, maybe not those either. Well, in France, they, they do have they got nukes in France, nuclear plants in France. Um, China, this is according to Jean-Pierre Cabassin a China expert at Hong Kong Baptist University. Quote, 
China has realized that it has antagonized too many countries at the same time, particularly among developed countries, which still today are its main trade and economic partners. Right. So, yeah, it, it has too many fronts upon which to fight. So it needs to it needs to play nice for a little while with a couple people, with a couple countries. For, that's it. it and look, we'll totally help you out with the Ukraine thing. Because, by the way, they, they're looking at the way this is happening and they're thinking Russia's probably not Russia's not going to be around like as a as a as a major player on the world stage this is according to the report there you got people inside the Chinese government that are like yeah and they're not going to be around now whether that's true or not I don't know they don't know either right but this is how they're hedging their bets this is how they're reading the situation so it's trying very hard to reach out to the EU and key European nations Germany France Italy Spain as well as America's Asian allies like Japan and South Korea and Vietnam. Not really an ally, but it's a partner. Vietnam's a partner. The EU is China's biggest trade partner, and Beijing runs a huge trade surplus with the European Union. Several of Europe's leading companies rank among China's biggest foreign investors. The hope that China can help to restrain Moscow from using nukes is a potential motivator in European capitals. There are indications that the approach is actually working in Beijing's favor. So the strategy, the diplomatic side, starting to make waves around the world. What about the economic growth? What about that? We'll get into that in a minute. So while China's intended diplomatic reset starting to make waves around the world, the Financial Times says its strategy to shore up economic growth at home is regarded as of greater importance to Beijing. The untested assumption behind the pro-growth strategy taking shape is that China is going to emerge from the COVID-induced economic malaise over the next few months. That's a pretty big assumption. Does it actually happen? That's hard to say. Let's see here. We got a, a quote here from Han Wenzhou, a leading official in the influential Central Financial and Economic Affairs Commission. And he said, he said, ha, Han, Han, yeah, he, he says that we have the confidence, conditions, and capacity to turn China's economy for the better as a hold. Uh, as a whole, rather, and he singled out the real estate and consumer spending areas as two that need attention. Real estate and consumer spending. The property market, in case you aren't aware of what's been happening in China, it's been going on for a while. I remember seeing videos years ago of these ghost cities. Have you seen these things? They're amazing and, and, and eerie and sad. And outrageous and disturbing all at the same time because they need to employ so many people. I remember when um, W was president and George W. Bush uh, told the story about how he was talking to the leader of China. I forget who it was at the time. And he said that uh, he asked him, you know, like what keeps him up at night as far as issues go? And the Chinese leader said finding jobs for a billion people. 
right? Like that's a that's that's a big thing because if people don't have jobs, they start going hungry, and then you have revolution. Well, well, yes, or a big fat government crackdown. So, yeah, either way. So this is the problem. The re- so in order to create those jobs. They literally employed in a communist country. It's easier to do, right? You just move some money around, mess with your currency on the open markets, whatever, and then uh, you uh, and, and and then you build cities that nobody lives in. They 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 put out these videos of them constructing buildings. Oh, look at this! They built a building in two days. Oh my gosh! You remember those videos? It's time lapse video, and you see them build a building in two days. Oh, it's amazing! Why can't we do that? Yeah, I don't know if I would want to live in that building. By the way. I'm not saying that our buildings take uh, 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 don't take too long to build in America. They absolutely do. But, like, that's propaganda. Again, they're communists. They lie. So they're going to lie about, look at us building this awesome building. Does anybody actually live in them? Because there are videos that exist, news stories out of China, where they talk about, you know, they built, like, this mall. This mall is the size of a city. And there are like four shops that actually are open that are selling merchandise. And by selling merchandise, I mean they have some on their shelves, but they're not actually selling any of it. Same thing with um, uh, apartment buildings, with the real estate stuff. People are buying uh, real estate. They're buying apartments because they have all this money, but they, they can't spend it on anything. So they've been trying to buy real estate, and then uh, the companies take their money, and then they don't finish the projects. There's a really big problem in the real estate market in China. Um, Some analysts remain a little hesitant, though. They point to China's chaotic emergence from its lockdowns. Because, once again, all of this is based on a a belief that China's going to emerge from their zero COVID stupidity. They're going to emerge from that and be able to grow and, and pretty quickly. That remains to be seen. Derek Scissors who offers cutting-edge economic research. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. He's the chief chief economist at Beige Book. And um, he said, with COVID zero, now in the rearview mirror, markets expect a gangbuster 2023 recovery. That will be right eventually. However, with the ongoing COVID tidal wave, investment sliding to a 10-quarter low and new orders continuing to get battered, he says a meaningful quarter one recovery is increasingly unrealistic. And then when those people don't have jobs, if those people don't have food, that's a real problem for Beijing. Here's an email from Tom. He says, Pete, you are on the right track. Check out a Pareto chart. Do you know what a Pareto, P-A-R-E-T-O, Pareto, Pareto, Pareto chart of world economies? The United States is first, China is about half our size, and every other country in the world is fighting for last place. <laughs> I don't think they're, I don't think they're trying for last place, but I get your meaning. Yes. Uh, he says we should stop helping China and work to make their biggest problem feeding 1.5 billion people three square meals a day. And we should start making more things here in America. Yeah, I. Uh, this is another one of those areas where I disagree with 
a lot of libertarians, it's, and it, it is border-related because I believe borders outline the jurisdictions of countries, and if you have laws that recognize certain things, as libertarians like to say we do, then you got to have jurisdictions that define us from another country that doesn't have those same laws, right, that doesn't respect those same freedoms. If I'm living next door to a, a tyranny like Canada, it's not a joke, but that's not a joke. No, if you're living next door to a, a tyrannical authoritarian government like Canada, I want to make sure that I know where that border is so I don't go over into it, right? So borders matter. By the same token, I think that if you're producing things, items, technology that are, you know, mission critical to our nation's success, you don't ever want to become reliant on a foreign country for those those needed materials. And so you, you need to protect what the founders called infant industries. I think there is a place for that. Thank <laughs> you.